Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading James chapter 4 from the World English Bible. Where do wars and fightings among you come from? Don't they come from your pleasures that war in your members? You lust and don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight and make war. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be subject therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't speak against one another, brothers. He who speaks against a brother and judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Only one is the lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, let's go into this city and spend a year there, trade and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. For what is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will both live and do this or that. But now you glory in your boasting. All such boasting is evil. To him, therefore, who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. That is the end of chapter 4. It seems like here in the beginning of chapter 4 that It's kind of abrupt, but remember that these chapter demarcations were added later. So James is probably referring back to what he said in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 about jealousy and selfish ambition and looking for our core spiritual satisfaction from pleasures of this fallen world. We know that there is nothing wrong with wealth, and specifically God blessed Abraham and Job with much wealth. God himself uses metaphors of wealth when talking about blessing Israel, and the new heavens and earth are described in terms of wealth. But seeking wealth as a priority in selfishness or jealousy is wrong. Refer to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And in that section, it's also talking about God knowing what we need. And you could also take that to mean he knows what we need beyond wealth, he knows that we need to learn to have those right priorities. Now, James must have heard of such strife that, as he's describing here in his letter, 
among various local assemblies of brothers and sisters because this is addressed to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. So it indicates he's talking to a lot of people in a lot of different places. The term war, the word war, according to Merriam-Webster, is a state of open and declared conflict between parties, whether those parties be on a national level or a small group level. And James is saying war has no place in Christian fellowship between those who claim to follow Christ. It is the result of lust, murder, coveting. Recall again in chapter 3, verse 16, that he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition are, there is confusion and every evil deed. But then James takes an interesting turn. He says, basically, you could actually have a lot more if you just asked God and asked with the right attitude and priorities. In verse 4, he goes on to use some very strong language addressing those who are full of jealousy and selfish ambition. And first of all, I think this shows that James' previous admonitions about the tongue clearly don't mean holding back on speaking necessary truth. He's trying to help them see what their spiritual condition is if they are so intent on worldly gain above all else, above things like love, patience, gratefulness, etc. And his use of the words adulterers and adulteresses is a metaphor that Jewish readers of the Old Testament would understand well. God himself uses this kind of metaphor regularly in the Old Testament, recounting and prophesying about the people of Israel on the whole as they worship false gods. So you get the idea that he's making a very strong association with that idea that these people were worshiping the wrong thing, whether it be prestige or power, whatever their selfish ambition and jealousy wanted that was making the wrong things be a high priority in their lives. But we can only truly worship one person, one thing, and have that be the highest priority in our lives. And of course, it should be God. In verse 5, it talks about the jealousy of the Spirit of God. So let's put that in the correct light. James has already started with the metaphor of marriage by calling them adulterers and adulteresses. No sexism here. He makes everyone culpable. But too many times when people hear that God is jealous, they think of it wrongly because they don't recognize the importance of the relationship. But if you understand that marriage is meant to be a picture of our relationship with him, for example, see Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, you can grasp this more easily. Even in the world, among unbelievers and proclaimed atheists, there is a clear understanding of this kind of jealousy when it comes to the kind of intimate relationship that you have with one other person. When it is broken, there is great pain and disruption one way or another, even if one party is callous and selfish. It cuts to the soul, even of the person who thinks they're being the tough guy and leaving the other one like no other kind of betrayal. It may be hard to understand how God is both our father and our bridegroom as a son, yet he uses both metaphors to drive home how much he cares for us and how much he loves us. God is beyond our complete comprehension, but he uses what we know so that he can relate to us, so that we can try to relate to him. We can rest assured that when we see him face to face, Finally, with him restoring all things, our relationship with him will be beyond our understanding of the metaphors now. But meanwhile, they guide us. So in verse six, he is jealous. 
but he gives grace. Grace is one of those biblical words that I know can get lost in the muddle of religious lingo. So let's turn again to Merriam-Webster. It says grace as a noun is unmerited divine assistance, approval, favor, kindness, clemency, which is another word for mercy. In spite of our failure, in spite of James's very strong rebuke, he points them right away and clearly to God's grace. If they humble themselves, he gives it to be born again, to learn to live in the Spirit. And then he joins the idea to being humble, which entails being subject to God. When in verse 7, James says, resist the devil, that definitely gives a picture of the devil actively battling against us. But all we have to do is resist, and he will flee. This is a truly uplifting picture, that all we have to do is resist, and he goes running. But don't end with that. Draw near to God, or seek to know him, pray, read his word, walk according to his loving principles. James is very succinct, but we know from other places in scripture, these are the kinds of things you do when you draw near to God. And when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. This is not because he's not always there. He is always there, but we're talking about relationship here. God is not forcing the relationship, but he is right there waiting for it, waiting for you to recognize his love and respond to it. Then also in verse 8, we get descriptions of repentance. If you are a sinner, cleanse your hands. This is obviously metaphorical language. Hands represent action, sins committed, so to wash them is a sign of repentance that you are repudiating living in sin. And then secondly, hearts represent attitude. Make a clear, concise choice to draw near from the heart. But then what about verse 9, lamenting and mourning and weeping? Well, that usually accompanies repentance. When you have hurt someone you love, when you are seeking reconciliation, there's often sorrow. The implication is that the joy you had previously was not pure. It was only a facade because it was without the love and the relationship. So when he talks about your laughter turning into mourning, he's only talking about the initial humbling and repentance in a given situation. Because there is joy in the Lord, we know that from many places in the Bible, and any of you who are Christians know it experientially. Then in verse 10, James tells us a curious thing about honest humility before God, and that is that God will exalt us in the pure and perfect way only he can. What does exalt mean? It means to raise in rank, to elevate by praise or estimation. In verse 11, we have a section on this contentious topic of judging. It's pretty clear in the context here that the tone is that of condemning in judgment as opposed to discerning or coming to a conclusion by carefully weighing the evidence. In fact, other versions say slander or speaking evil or speaking against someone. Because if we are truly humble, we won't do these things. We are supposed to discern. We're not supposed to condemn. Much like God says, vengeance is his. A judge who passes sentence in condemnation sits above the law and that he decides what it means and how to apply it. And by virtue of his role, no one else is in a position to judge him. So when it says speak against the law, it's like usurping or trying to supersede the law with our own judgment in arrogance. Verse 13, in this final section, he brings out another facet of selfish ambition or covetousness or friendship with the world, which is evidenced by boasting. 
This is not saying don't plan or arrange business. This is saying don't boast and arrogantly proclaim your grand success because, by the way, you don't know for sure what each day will bring. I refer you back to Matthew 6, verse 34. James is also not saying that we have to go around inserting if the Lord wills in every sentence. If this is our attitude, it will be part of our expression enough without forcing it in a ritualistic or way of vain repetition, which we are warned against in other places. The transition to verse 17, or what we call verse 17, the next sentence, brings to mind that James seems to have like a completely opposite style from Paul. Paul's sentences are long and very explanatory, and James just goes from one bullet point to the next almost. So it almost seems at first to glance like he just tags on this part about doing good. But recall in verse 16, he said boasting is evil, morally evil. But you shouldn't just avoid evil. That would be kind of like what Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees when they asked for a sign in Matthew 12. He tells them that they'll get the sign of Jonah and that Nineveh will judge them in the judgment, that the Queen of Sheba will judge them because she traveled far just to see the man Solomon. And then in verses 43 through 45 of Matthew 12, Jesus talks about this somewhat odd scenario of a man being freed from one demonic or unclean spirit. But when the man doesn't fill his house, his life, his heart with anything else, the one unclean spirit takes seven more to go move in and torment the man. Trying not to be evil is not enough. It leaves the house, the soul empty and vulnerable. We must do good, which begins with faith in God, who then helps us act in faith to do good. Again, not religious good per se, not for the eyes of the world, but every day as we live before God. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 